You have found Authentic Business Adventures, the business program that brings you the struggle stories and triumphant successes of business owners across the land. Downloadable audio episodes can be found on the podcast link found at drawincustomers.com. We are locally underwritten by the Bank of Sun Prairie. My name is James, and today we're welcoming slash preparing to learn from Jason at Yerusi Holdings. So Jason, how is it going today? Hey, it's going great. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Tell us, I guess, just to get started here, what is Yerusi Holdings? Sure. Yerusi Holdings is a multifamily investment firm um, down here just south of Nashville, Tennessee, in a town called Murfreesboro. Um, we've acquired a little over 3,000 apartment units uh, back since uh, 2016. So in in a through line, we buy apartment communities. Uh, we do this through something, mainly through something called syndication, where we uh, raise investment capital so we can buy these apartment buildings and typically reposition them into better places to live, which typically generates uh, better revenue bigger bottom line, which usually uh, leads to outsized returns for our investors. All right. Super cool. That's, I mean, cool. The real estate investment game is always one that helps. I guess it's a, I don't know. I got a lot of friends in it. I'm in it a tiny amount. Nowhere near sure. 3000 doors. That's a, that's a lot of doors. Keeps keeps us busy. Let's say that it keeps us busy. So we we've uh, and part of our I think we'll talk through today is a lot of our growing pains. We're not growing fast enough, and so doing a lot ourselves, right? Which you I'm sure you've seen with other guests. And uh, as we've continued to scale and bring on the right people to fill the needs, we've continued to grow in a really good fashion. Yeah, is this something that you started? I did. Yeah, yeah. So I started this. Uh, so very. Um, non-directional path to where we are today, right? So, you know, I came out of college, moved to New York City, um, went from a finance degree in school into just being a bartender, right? So I was a bartender for a number of years, ended up meeting my now wife um, at one of the big bars we ran. Um, ran that bar when it was just a small little tiki hut and um, scaled that revenue by 25 times that owner and really liked that model. So it blew up. It was a crazy outdoor place in New York City. And then I went from there and started uh, opening up um, another restaurant, opened up another bar. I opened and sold a brewery. And then uh, lo and behold, um, over in New Jersey, where I'm from, where I was born and raised, um, Hurricane Sandy happened. And that just decimated the East Coast. And uh, my dad, um, he just recently retired, but he had this very niche construction company. And that construction company lifted and moved houses. So take the physical house off off the foundation, move it, you know, for everything, for setbacks, or, you know, for if you were lived close to a street, it would move it back, foundation issues. But one of the really big drivers was for flooding, right? So people would lift their houses high to hopefully not flood again. Well, he would do just, you could think of it like, how, how much do you hear that, right? He would do like 10 or 12 projects a year. Hurricane yeah. Sandy happens. Overnight goes from a couple calls a month to a thousand calls a day, right? And so my little brother, who's working for me in New York City, uh, my my now wife Peely, who was my girlfriend at the time, myself, you know, we picked up out of New York City, city, and went out to help dad just run the family construction company. And that business went from you know doing those ten or twelve projects a year to you know on the high level we we're doing three hundred of them a year. So it just was crushing it. We did about two thousand of them over the course of five or six years, and um, really fun. However, it was. The the through line of what we did in our business where we were constantly doing this very transactional and needy business from my standpoint, right? So, you know, the bar world, right? If I'm not there serving a drink, I'm not getting tips, right? So an outdoor bar, if it's raining out, you know, there's no money, right? This niche business um, for, for lifting houses was also very specialized, right? It's hard for us to detach ourselves because there was such risk in the business. You're taking someone's greatest possession, typically their house, and you're putting a lot of risk, right? A lot of risk just in terms of you and your employees, a high specialized field. So we constantly had to be there doing the work. And so just like the construction world, if you're not out there doing the work, you're not making money. So we kept doing these things where I had to be so actively involved. Well, you know, my my wife and myself, you know, she was pregnant with our first you know child, and we just kept saying like, we got to find a way to just get back the time, right? Because if we had 25 hours in a day, you know, eight days a week, we, we would have used them, right? We were just so busy, and we kept asking that question like, what else could we do? And you know, the word that kept popping up was real estate. However, you know, real estate is this very, you know, wide, this blue ocean, right? You can do a million things in, in real estate. You know, you could mm -hmm. just buy and just be a landlord for a single house. You could flip homes. You could do wholesaling, Airbnbs, tax liens. And just the list is, is ever going. So we did the first thing that we saw is like the flipping shows. So we said, okay, let's start to do flips. And so we started to get into flips. Uh, Peely, my wife, went out and got a real estate license and we started doing that. 
And it was going fine. We were doing good with it. But here we are. We have the construction business. I still have a, you know, a restaurant bar in New York City. And now here we are doing these flips and we had no time. And now we have less time. Right. So we kept saying, <laughs> man, like we are going, going the, the wrong, wrong direction. direction, going the wrong direction. Right. And so we kept asking, like, what else is there? So we we moved. We started doing some wholesaling. And that was also transactional. And we started doing some Airbnbs. And we constantly kept going in that pattern, just saying, OK, this is going. And it's like, you know, we're making money. This is fine. But it's not quite right. And we came upon someone at a meeting, right? So so Peely met someone at a, at a RIA meeting who was doing out-of-state rentals. And they were just doing single-family homes, you know, like a thousand miles away. And we're like, huh. So we dove in, we brought a couple rentals. And instead of buying a house, I bought some duplexes and triplexes. And what that forced us to do is that it took us out of the equation of the activity, right? I couldn't run down to Hope Depot. I couldn't go there and collect rent. I couldn't do all these busy activities because I was a thousand miles away. And what it pushed and forced my hand to do was to force me into the position here where I had to put people in place to make this a successful adventure, right? So, so we'd get out there to the contractors to renovate the unit. We'd get the property managers to manage it, right? So we get all the different pieces of the puzzle to make it work. And lo and behold, it started working, right? And so we said, whoa, this is really interesting. However, you know, with a couple of duplexes and triplexes, it just wasn't going to move the needle a lot. And we, it just looked like, um, we'll say chaos to have like 50 or 60 duplexes, you know, all around the country. It just seemed like logistical right. nightmare. So I kept just asking that question, like, well, what else is there? And I came upon someone who was buying apartment buildings. And that was that, that uh, aha moment because it just equated constantly back to the restaurant business. Like you could have a 12 seat restaurant or, or a hundred seat restaurant, right? Same process. However, dinner was the same, right? So dinner for most of the world is, you know, five to seven or five to eight. So if you have a 12 seat restaurant, and a hundred seat restaurant, you can only do so, so many turns with a 12 seat restaurant. So your mm -hmm. economies of scale got limited. So when I looked at the apartment building and I could understand that I could treat that more to, to a scale of a business, right? I could hire a full staff with it, have a full-time leasing person, full-time maintenance person, and do things that could drive the business forward in a much greater capacity just with small levers. I was like, ah, that's, that's it. So in 2015, 2016, we sold off all the little properties we had, really started moving away from the flipping and moved all into just educating ourselves and just understanding the model of buying apartment buildings. And in 2017, um, we brought a 94-unit apartment building, and that was in Louisville, Kentucky. And that was the first of about 30 or so transactions that we've done to date. Wow. So tell yeah. me, you got, you're going through the whole process and you have a bar and restaurant. Having a bar restaurant on its own has got to be a huge headache. Yeah. So how did you, how did you juggle your time, especially having a kid? I guess yeah. in the middle of that, that's got to be. So when we moved out of New Jersey or moved out of New York City, I had we had a partner, right? And so he ended up he was doing a lot of the operational side of it, right? So and a lot of what I do today is more like the asset management side. And so you could equate that to the restaurant, right? So so in terms of plans, processing, marketing, and path forward, and then he would be the implementer in in the day to day for the business. And so he held on the path with the day to day for the business here, and then I was able to do that from New Jersey, New York City. Now again, like you know, it, it still takes time. Right, it still mm -hmm. takes time, but luckily we had the partner who was doing the day to day there because I had, st I was still running some of the other bars and restaurants in there um, that I wasn't the owner of while he was running the one that we were the owner of. Dang! All right, yeah. So, are you still in the bar and restaurant business as well? No, you know, the having little kids it 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 changed a lot, right? And so I I went from you know. My wife and I, when we were first, you know, dating, we we would go to work at like ten at night, you know, like you know, it was just a different world, right? And so your day would be that, you know, you'd work Tuesday to Sunday, you'd have Mondays off, and you 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 would get home three, four, five in the morning, right? And so mm -hmm. the evolution, a lot of which changed in my focus, is that I had to really just revamp the way I saw things and just how I focused and just how I set my day, right? So from getting up and going up and staying up all hours of the night to getting up massively early now, I've had to completely transition my life just because, you know, goals have changed, the, the mile markers have changed, and just where I wanted to go to be able to spend time with the growing family has really changed as we've continued to go forward. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. It's the business I had before, the call answering service that I have now, when we had a kid, it's one of those things where you think like, oh, before going to networking events or doing business stuff at night was like, yeah, yeah. no problem, whatever. But when you have a kid, you're like, no, that kid's only going to be a kid once. 
Yeah. So and you don't want him to be a jerk. So you better spend some time with that kid. Plus, what's the point of having a kid if you're not going to spend some time with it? hundred percent right. So, plus, like, you know, it's it's, it's like they're going to get up when they get up in the morning. It's not like, right. hey, listen, I, I was out late. Can you mind just sleeping in for another hour and a half? You know, like, it's in the morning. They're hungry. They're ready to go. You know, they're ready for life. They're ready to go explore. Right. And so, you know, and that's why, you know, the, the whole part of starting a family was just to, to grow into that. Right. So a lot of the decisions we've been making just to find our time back, it's just been dedicated to just how we want to see our future. Right. And mm-hmm. it hasn't hasn't been a straight line, right? You know, I, I just, every, every step forward is a, is a step forward sometimes in the wrong direction, but at least it's a step forward, right? And a learning lesson. And so we've continued to evolve as we've continued to continue to make steps. Yeah. Just keep it moving. I mean, that's what 100%. progress is all about. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. Tell me when you were doing the flipping thing, were you actually swinging hammers and getting in there doing all that? Yes and no. Um, So some of this, yes. I mean, we come from five generation construction, right? And so, so we come, you know, my dad knows he's, he's a little wizard out there for what, what he did. So we, we would in a lot of capacity, we would also be out there, you know, run to the, run into the supply houses, run to all the parts, you know, so just busy in the activity of just continue to push in the job forward and picking up the gaps because, Flips are great, right? But if you're not doing a tremendous amount of them, you have a, a dialed on full staff, right? Of electricians to plumbers and stuff like that. You're also at the will of their schedule. So a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. you would, you know, it's start, it stop and start, right? And so you have to constantly push forward the project. And a lot of the money, people don't realize that there's that like, oh, you know, I got to the end of the project and I made, you know, $50,000 on the sale, but are you counting all the uh, time, right? Are you counting, you know, all the utility costs, the holding costs, all the excess costs, right? Because that's where you lose your time, right? So with flipping, it's a fun business, but my friends who are most successful with it, they do one pattern and time time efficiency is it, right? As quick as you can get from A to B is where you make your money. It's not, hey, let me do this project in whatever time it takes because that's the dollars that are basically going out the window for each and every day that go by that you're letting the project sit there. Gotcha. Taxes never stop. Everything. Yeah. Like taxes, insurance, right? So all your utility payments, all your holding costs, right? Just all of your time and plus your money becomes less valuable as it just sits out there, right? Because you can't Mm -hmm. roll your money forward. Fair. I want to just ask you a really quick question about the house lifting thing. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily crazy relevant, but it's just crazy curious from a business standpoint. Lifting a house is not like you just go out there and muscle it. You need equipment, cranes and jacks and things to lift a I don't know what a house weighs, but I'm sure it's not light. Yeah, it can can be tons and tons and tons. So we, you know, like uh, anywhere 50 tons, we've listed 500 ton, right? In a big, big complex before. So it really is anything in between, right? And Mm -hmm. what we do is that... So imagine you have a typical house. It's got it's got a foundation, you know, you know, made made of cinder block or made of some other con, con, concrete block. That's your foundation, right? Then you have some wood frame house on top. What we will do is we will actually insert steel beams through the foundation, and we will set up a temporary foundation through the steel structure that will be underneath the wood frame. Underneath that steel frame, inside the the crawl space, the basement, or inside the foundation, we'll set up basically jingle blocks. And typically, you'll have let's just say four at the minimum, right, for balance. And there'll be four patterns of jingle block uh, uh, jingle blocks that will be there to set the balance for the steel beams. Within each of those jingle jingle block setups, here will be a jack. And that jack typically will carry anywhere between fifteen to thirty tons for each jack right there. That jack will have a hose and that hose ties back to a manifest. And so there'll be one manifest. And let's say at the, at the easiest part, the manifest is four jacks. Well, on that manifest, you can basically set gauges to dictate the, where the weight is in the house. Because if you just have a perfect square house, although it's perfectly square, it doesn't weigh the same. Maybe on one side of the house, there's all the kitchen and a bathroom. And the other side, it's an open room, right? And on the other side, there's one bathroom, right? So they're all going to have different weights. So you might have 20 ton in one corner, 5 ton in another corner, 10 ton, and 15 ton, right? So you can use this manifest to be be able to dictate the pressure pressure of how much psi is going to go to each of those jacks and we'll be able to level. correct and we'll be able to lift the house up and you can go up in um certain patterns to to a certain amount but typically we'll go up about 12 to 14 inches each time and and after we go up 12 to 14 inches we'll reshore it basically add blocks underneath the jack and then reset the jack and go up again and we'll continue right. that until we get up to the elevation we need there 
and we'll basically pattern it off. The the masons and the next crew will come in and build a foundation up, leaving us a little bit of room, typically, you know, six to eight inches here. We'll come down and lower the house onto the new foundation once basically the framers put sills in, release our materials, and then move on to the next job and keep pattern rolling from there. So tell me the curiosity that I have is your dad's doing this, a few of them, and then all of a sudden he's doing hundreds of them. The capital outlay for all these yep. jacks and the adding of the employees and training them and stuff like this to lift a house, you don't mess that up. So how did he scale that fast and then still get a return or did he get a return after mm -hmm. throwing out all that capital? Because I don't mm -hmm. know what jacks are to jack a house, but. It can't yeah. be just five bucks at, on Amazon or something like that. Where we won out is that a lot of the outlay was on employees. So we had employees and trucks, right? Because we, my dad had steel for days. Because you go and imagine each time you lift the house, that steel doesn't come back to you for a moment, right? So it steals mm -hmm. me there. So we had steel for days out there. So we rarely had to invest to buy more steel. The one part is when these Jenga blocks, the same thing, they would stay there is that, you know, they also, it's just wood, right? It's treated wood that over time is going to, to rot out or just not be sufficient, right? So we had a good portion get started and we were able to reinvest from that part right there. So the, okay. the big pieces that we constantly had to go on here was, was manpower some new trucks, and we had to buy, it's called a jacking machine, but we had to buy one more manifest to what we had on board right there to continue the process there to be able to run out two crews, right? So we were oh. able to do this with two crews. So we actually, it, it was, and then you have other things that continue to tick up as you grew in revenue, right? Insurances, you could you could imagine insurance was not cheap when you're lifting a house, right? So the insurances, and as more things happen with storm work and everything, the insurances went up and continue to elevate from there. But a lot of this was in capital outlay, trucks, and continue to resource materials. But the, the cool thing about steel and block is that each time the house came down, you could just reuse that, right? So you continue to reuse that. Re, so that was reusable equipment there, right? And so gotcha. as you continue okay. to push forward, you can continue to use that. But it just came out to how much you would have for how many houses you could do. Because if, if you had, say, 15 to 20 houses worth of, of equipment right there, and imagine each house is different, right? And so there's going to be different patterns of how much block you need and, and different patterns of steel sizes that you need for each house. So luckily, my dad just for years had just been compiling steel, right? So he had so much steel out there. So we were able to get pretty far down the road before I had to constantly reinvestigate more. But it, right. it made it interesting because <laughs> many people who were trying to jump into that had that very high hurdle when it first started out of capital outlay just to get in, right? Cause they, they were starting from zero and maybe we were starting at 60, right? But they were starting at zero. So we at least had that head start. We were able to go out there and do jobs that day one and continue to really scale with the business as a storm work happens. That's cool. I like that. So shifting gears back to investing in apartments and stuff like that, you get a 94 unit apartment with that one. Did you have investors as well? Or was that just I did. you? Okay. Yeah. 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 So we had investors, um, we, we had done something early on is that, you know, we, we had seen some people and they, they ended up becoming like mentors to us, just asking them how they did it. And one of the things they said, like, listen, it, it's not like you, you hear a lot, like if you find a deal, the money will come, but that's the wrong way to think about it because it's just a, it's a huge learning hurdle, right? Because mm -hmm. most invest in stocks and bonds, they, they're used to that or they see a flipping show. But when you talk to someone about buying an apartment building, they've never heard about it, right? They've never thought of this, never thought about this as their like investment criteria, right? So as this came upon as something we wanted to do, we had the thought that we would go out to our network and just talk to them about what we were doing, why we were excited about it. Like, hey, listen, we are going to buy apartment buildings. Now, our, our friends and family, right, they knew us and they knew that, you know, we had showed up and done what we've said we've done in some other business fashions, right? So like, okay, like, why? Like, hey, listen, with apartment buildings, you have this opportunity where you can you can benefit from getting cash flow, right? So people pay their rent, pays expenses, pays your mortgage, and then, you know, the remaining part can be cash flow that we can use to distribute out to investors. Then you have the appreciation. You know, we're going to invest in these markets because we feel like these markets are going to grow over time and have more value. Plus, when we do renovations to the building, right, it becomes more valuable. So we're going to force forward the appreciation of the building. Next, there's the depreciation benefits and, and tax benefits. And we use something called cost segregation where we accelerate the depreciation forward 
into five and 15 year buckets. So instead of having appreciation happen over 27 and a half years, you know, you may have the lion's share of your losses in the first couple of years there. So if, if people can take advantage of the appreciation losses, it's also a way for them to offset some of the other gains that they may have through some of their other investments. So it helps them from a tax perspective. And we have the silent killer debt pay down that happens with this. So there's so many ways that you can win with these apartment buildings. So we would teach people this and just show them like, hey, for this building that we're going to find, we made a one pager of like an avatar of the building we're going to find. We said, we're going to look for this. 75 to 150 units is the type of building we're going to look for. It's going to be built anywhere between 1980 and 2005. Um, it's going to be in the south side of Louisville, right? We're going to look for this. We're going to have a management company that's going to manage it. And we anticipate that we're going to look for buildings that have this type of return. And so we would give this education to our friends and family and say, listen, like, if this is something that you want to talk more about, you know, let me know. And through this process, we were able to get on board. Now, we weren't taking capital, but we were able to get commitments that if we find this type of investment here, we would have any like a little over a million dollars of, of capital that would be interested. So when we found that 94 build uh, unit, we need to raise about 750, maybe it was $800,000. And we were able to do that in like a day because we had done this pre-work to say like, hey, like, listen, like when we find this, like, would you be interested? And then we gauge like how much, like twenty five or fifty thousand. So when we had the investment, we had those investors that were ready to jump, and it made that process a lot easier. And then instead of finding a building first, and then bringing it to them, because with what we do, there's a lot of paperwork. You know, we're we're offering a security right, so it's an exemption, but we're offering a security right. The the paperwork that they sign into can be hundred and fifty pages. So if you try to find this apartment building, right? And then go to our investors and say, hey, listen, I got this great investment for you. I've never told you about it, but are you ready to invest, right? It's so <laughs> right. much for to take on, right? And the confused mind says no. And then on the back of it, when we were doing it before having the investment, I mean, there was no pressure on us. We were just like, hey, listen, but if I have this investment, I have to close in 45 days. Now it puts pressure on me because I need a commitment, right? And now I need to ask them, and hey, can you invest now, right? Because now, and it puts pressure on them. And it doesn't allow them to fully understand it and make sure it works for them. So we're able yeah, to do it. And we continue to pattern this way to just talk with investors and be like, listen, here's the opportunity that presents it, right? Here's what we do. Here's our model. You know, here's frequently asked questions. We're happy to go through any questions they have as well and just dive into it. And then if it's something that can be a benefit for them, great. Then as we have investments come forward, they can look at them and see if this meets their investment goals. And sometimes it does today, and sometimes it may in a year, two years, or five years. All right. Tell me, when you see uh, an apartment building or, I guess, a small neighborhood that's for sale with that many doors in it, why is whoever owns that getting rid of that? Because yeah. if it's producing, you think they would keep it, right? It, yes and no. So it, there's a lot of things that could come up, right? It could be that, you know, we brought everything from where, you know, it, it, Parents have passed it down to the kid and they don't want it, right? Or you know, there's a partnership dispute, right? And and the partners no longer are in agreement on, on just how it goes forward. Or just like they do with us, you know, it's a syndication, like they have a syndication model like we do, where there's an end cap to the investment, right? So there's a five to seven year window for which we have to sell as part of our agreement to investors, right? So they may be coming up on their window there. Oh, yeah. Okay. So there's there's also a window that could be a part. Plus, like anything, like, you know, a house or anything is that you invest in day one in four or five years, there needs to be an additional investment. So what this does is even if we go in and renovate 100% of the building today, in four or five years, right, just like anything, a house or anything else, there will be additional improvements that can be made at that time. So it allows a new investor to come in there and recapitalize and potentially make new investment that now fits that model. So for instance, the, um, the 94 unit, you know, we ended up selling that uh, building to, to new investors in month 32. Because when we brought that building originally, um, we were able to do what's called like a classic renovation. So we, all we did was just go in there and do paint and carpet and just make it nicer, right? Because they were not operating it well. Um, this was an instance that the owner had passed away. He was in his 90s and he gave it to, we'll say kids, but it was it was five kids who were in their 60s and they were all living out of state. 
They didn't oh. want this thing. They're like, what are sure. we doing with this thing? So they had a really bad management uh, in there. They had a really poor operation running, but all the buildings that were surrounding it just were were operating in a phenomenal fashion, right? They were all almost 100% occupied, all renting at higher rental rates. So for us, all we had to do was go in there and just basically just run it better, just put in a better process, lease it up, lease it up higher rates, and now we were meeting our hurdles. What happened two and a half years down the road was that new investors were coming in and buying apartment buildings around there and they started doing very premium upgrades. So they started doing premium upgrades that when I brought it, wouldn't have fit that because if I came in and tried to put in you know, like uh, granite countertops and all this stuff, I would have gotten the same rental rates that I did without doing it because the okay, market so didn't no return. fit Okay. Correct. And so the market turned. So it allowed me to go and sell to an investor to want to come in there and do that same model. Got it. So you can pull your cash, work Correct. on the next investment. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So tell me from an investor standpoint, especially dealing with family, has that been challenging? Um, You know, we do monthly reporting. And what I found is that if you constantly give guidance and give reporting, because just like there's 100 people living in a building, of course, it's not going to go perfect every day, mm -hmm. right? You're always going to have things that will come up and change and just a day to day, right? So we have our perfect plan and then we have day one, as we call it. And what we do is we have our plan and then we have our pivot to what needs to be done to get back to the plan. So each month uh, on the 15th, we give a report out to all investors for all investments. We say, hey, here's here's where occupancy is. You know, Here's where collections is. Here, here's where we are with the plan. Here's what's going great. Here's what's not going perfect to plan. And here's what we're doing to mediate to get back to that plan for the things that aren't going right. And doing that for, for the time that we've done this now has gotten to a point where investors, we don't get a ton of feedback from investors. We basically give them the details. You know, and so okay. we'll get, you know, one or two questions on there. But no, it hasn't been trying because we, we've we kept communi communication going because communication is always that funny thing is that, you know, if you have no communication, it's it, it produces two sides. Most people um, will say, oh, something bad might be going on. But you, even if you're saying, oh, I don't know what that is. I, just had a, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> even if we even if we don't have even if things are going perfect, if we're not communicating, then investors just think something's off. Right. So we've just constantly communicated throughout on the investments and allows them to understand because they are, you know, they're investing a ton of money. I think our average investment is like seventy three thousand dollars from the investor. Right? right. And so when you look at that, it's a big investment. Right. Mm -hmm. And for them to put that much capital, we want to make sure they're in the know of what's actually happening there with their investment. So with investments like that, are you promising a return or sharing an expected return? It's expected. How do they know yeah. what they're what yeah. they're there's no no guarantees in anything and we can't guarantee in return. What we offer, our typical investment structure is like this, is that if someone invests, let's just say $100,000 for easy, easy math there, we offer them a preferred return. And what that means is that it's not a guarantee, but of, of the returns that come out from the investment, the first returns go back to them. So let's say each year, they're going to get a preferred preferential rate of 8%, meaning that okay. if they invest $100,000 each year, of the first returns, they're going to get $8,000. Now, if we surpass that, say we say we can do $20,000, then they'll get the $8,000, and then that next $12,000 will be split between them and us. However, if we don't meet it, say we can only do $6,000, we'll say that $6,000 will go to them. And then the following year, we need to, again, go and hit that 8% mark. However, we now need to hit the 8% and then make up and, and catch up on the returns that we didn't meet. So it would be the additional 2,000. So 8,000 plus 2,000 the next year to continue to meet the mark before it'd be a split to us. So it gotcha. keeps us in a good symbiotic relationship where, where they are investing a lot of capital. We invest too, but it puts them in a position that they're getting preferential treatment for the lion's share of the capital coming in. All right. And when they invest, let's just say they're throwing 100,000 at it. You sell that property- are you then taking their money and reinvesting into something else? Or are you saying, hey, here's your hundred grand back? Yeah. If you want to keep playing, send it back our way. How does that Yeah, work? the second part is that we so we have to close it out. And so with the close out here, we'll we'll give them any of their the their, their return of capital. So they'll get the preferred return, if there's any catch up, they'll get a split of the profit and their return. So they're the return of capital of the 100K. Um, if we have another project on that part, they can make the choice. If they if they want to roll it, they're welcome to. However, it will go back to them with the question that they're welcome to reinvest with us or or use it as as they deem, deem fit. Gotcha. That is cool. That is interesting. I love it. 
So tell me about management company. Do you have your own or are you hiring out? Because this seems to be yeah. the one of the major headaches yeah. uh, between the people that I know that are in real estate investing with apartments. Management companies, some are good, some are not. <laughs> yeah. Same thing, you know, we actually, it's it's both. So the, the answer is we have both, is that we manage a select amount of properties in-house and then we have property management companies. Right now we're in seven states. And so we have property management companies oh, wow. in, the, in the states, in, in a lot of the surrounding states that manage uh, the larger properties. We've found that on a larger property, we can find much more professional, better suited management companies. So, mm -hmm. you know, 75 to 150 units, you know, like that, we can find a very good company. Where we were missing the mark is a lot of the properties that we have something that's 30 units, 36 units, you know, uh, 20 units. It's very hard to get good management for those type of properties. So we battled that for a while to, to just find the management company. And then we opened up our own. So we have another division here that does in-house management and we manage, um, you know, an office building. We uh, manage a storage, uh, storage facility. We manage a 20 unit, a, a 12 unit, a 36 unit, 32 unit. Um, uh, what else did I have on a docket? Right. And so, and one other property there oh, and, uh, at a um, 29 unit. Right. And so we manage those properties in house and that puts us in a part is that we were doing so much managing the manager on the smaller assets. And we're like, man, we just do this ourselves. So we actually do do less work to manage ourselves because we're just more efficient with the process on that part <laughs> because we can basically pull in the economies for that type of project. But the bigger properties, like even here in town, like I have a property where we manage right here in town. It's a smaller property, but then we have a lot of larger properties. And those larger properties, we have a fantastic management company. And they manage all the larger properties here in our surrounding town here for that type of property while we deal with the smaller ones. All right. Very cool. So when you sell a property that has management company and it's got good history and all that jazz, when you sell that, does the management company typically stay with the new owners? Um, it, it's an opportunity for the owner to make that choice. Most okay. of the time, if you're coming onto a property, you, you want to change a narrative. And so whatever that oh. would be just with, with new ownership, right? Like a new ownership. And you see that a lot like restaurants, new ownership, right? And that same part. So very few times do we keep the management company. Now there, there's, there's times when it changes, right? If it's a management company we already work with, right? Then we'll keep the management company. However, in many times we'll transition to management company just for a new change in direction. So it could be a lot of things is that the tenant base needs to, you know, a re-up, right? They, they may have bad, bad practices and we need to come in here and just, you know, new sheriff in town, just set new practices. It could be that we like to have or already have an existing management company we work well with. We know their process. So it, nine out of 10 times, it will be a new management company. All right. Interesting. I suppose clean slate. All good. Correct. Tell me about financing. You're getting investors. Are you getting investors that you can make cash offers on things? Or are you getting investors that you can knock out a yeah. big chunk of the debt, but you're actually using banks or other financing means to, to we're using banks uh, for the majority. So typically our biggest investor will be a bank, right? So the bank will come on and do a 65% or 70% of the, of the value of, of the project. Right. And why we do this is that investors, you know, our investors set, you know, typically that the, the expectation return is going to be much higher, right? Where the bank, the bank could be six or 8% is going to be the loan with interest rates where the investor, you know, maybe it's 15%. So if we were to try and find something where we brought it all cash and get a 15% return on 100% of money allocated, that would be, it, it would be very difficult to come to that. So taller. we're able to, yeah, we'll be able to reduce our cost of capital by going in there and putting some kind of bank debt on the property and then bringing the rest from the investors. Because then you're getting, say it's 65% of it is at 6% or 7%. And then the other 35 or 40% of it can be at the expected return that could be 15%. So your overall cost of capital brings it down for the project and blends out for you to find better projects that can meet that return rate. Got it. So when you are finding property, is that typical 3070-ish? Or I guess commercial uh, for, property, I always think of 2080, but I don't yeah, know if maybe so apartments are different. It many You could get up to 80% loan to value. You could still get it today. It's a little harder, especially in the market. A lot of people, are in, especially where interest rates are, just the state of the market. 
Typically, 70%, 75% is, is kind of that part where you'll find most of your loans, sometimes 65%. We just did a 65% loan last week. And although it's 65% on the bank, you're typically still raising about another 40% or, or more of capital because you have everything that's your closing costs, your construction budget, and all that other stuff on top. So if you have $10 million loan, maybe it'll be a $6.5 million loan, right? On a $10 million project, then you might raise another 4.5. And that 4.5 is going to make up, you know, all the closing costs, the fees, and then everything with the construction budget and reserves. Gotcha. So yeah, I suppose cash flow makes the business flow kind of thing. Correct. So you need that. Gotcha. That makes sense. Tell me if I'm an investor and I want to get into the rental real estate game, I'm probably not going to go out and buy a hundred unit place, maybe, but it's probably not likely. What would you recommend for someone that was just getting started in it as far yeah. as things to avoid or pitfalls or you, you know, go off on your own? Do you get investors? It, it, I've seen it on all sides. I've seen people buy small buildings and large buildings. And to me, like it's where your mental state is at and where your background is, right? Because if you're coming and you just come from something that maybe, I don't know, you're 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 working at a place that you don't have the financial background of going in there. Maybe the small one makes more sense, but some people come from a big financial background and will go to a larger property because just like I said, with the restaurant, you get more economies of scale, right? If you have a 10 unit or a 20 unit, you can't hire a full staff from that. So it's going to be a lot more needy where if you get up to, you know, uh, say a hundred unit property, you can hire that full-time staff. So let's just say your background is going to dictate a lot and your mind's going to dictate a lot where you start. However, where I find as a good path here is that, you have to be very specific with what you want. Mm -hmm. And where I see most falter is that, you know, with real estate, there's so many shiny objects and, and, but there's also everything sounds good under the sun, right? So I'm, I'm here in, in, you know, just in Murfreesboro, which is South of Nashville in Tennessee, right? I said we're in seven States, but I'm really in seven cities, right? In Tennessee, I don't invest in Knoxville. I don't invest in Memphis. I don't invest in Chattanooga. I don't invest in Cardiff. All I invest is in and around South Nashville. I'm very specific with what I want. So I know exactly how that market operates. I also have all the resources in this market from brokers to insurance agents to contractors, right? So I have all the pieces of the puzzle there. And it's also very easy for my investors to understand what, what market I'm in. And I can very, uh, very much be on track with the trends of this market. What that allows me and affords me is to be very detailed about investments that come on and also be first to know on a lot of opportunities that are available. What I find is many times for investors when they start out, you know, maybe today they're looking at a deal in Nashville and it's a hundred unit. Then tomorrow they're in Idaho and they're looking at a new construction deal they're going to build. Then the next day they're in Baltimore and it's a 40 unit that's uh, built in 1920. Then the next day they're into a 12 unit in Florida. And just like anything, these projects are all different. They all operate different. It's all different markets. You don't know what side of the street you're on. You don't know if you're in the good school zones. You don't have any team anywhere. So you just don't know what you don't know. And the more specific you can get to here to just say, okay, and the, the pushback I get is, well, doesn't that eliminate opportunities? Well, the, the true answer is no, because you have no idea what an opportunity looks like in all these different markets. But when you stay here, Say, I don't get 100 deals to look at, but maybe I get 10. Well, I can pick out the one that works. And I'd rather look at 10 deals and get one than look at 150. And by the time I figure out the one that does work, it's too late because someone got it three months ago because they knew exactly where they were because they were very specific with what they wanted. Oh, you raise an interesting point with the whole location, location, location thing. Yeah. You got to know how big of a deal that location is that you're looking at. So Correct. it reminds me of knowing doing day trading with stocks that you don't look at 500 stocks. You look at. Yeah. yeah. The, the people that win, like it might even be you know, one sector or one type of stock or there's one stock in general or two stocks in general. And they're very specific with that. Right. But they know the ins and outs of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's just like the same thing in the market. Cause even in any market, like, you know, I, I grew up in New Jersey and be like, well, do you invest in New Jersey? I'm like, no, but if I did like, you know, I couldn't invest in South Jersey cause I grew up in North Jersey. Right. So, so go anywhere. Like right now, if you're sitting here like, Hey, I want to be an investor. Like, tell me what it's like 30 miles from you. You can't. Right. And if you right. kind of know 30 miles away from me, like, okay, well tell me what side of the town is best. Where's the school zone? Where do people want to live? Right. Like what are all the path of progress? Like what direction is going? You can't. Right. So the more you can hone in on that, it, it doesn't slow you the opportunity. It gets you to the right opportunities quicker. Gotcha. That makes sense. And I suppose once you yeah. have that area figured out, when you see a deal come to you, you can tell pretty quickly whether it's 
worthwhile to look at more. You're like, eh, right, I don't right. like it. it's in this area or yeah, that's yeah. this schools or whatever. I know that's going to, that road's under construction. Whatever. Yeah, Cause it takes that, so much time to unravel the, all these different areas. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't have like trusted ally. Like you just don't have a team. So like if your biggest driver is that I can have the perfect plan, but like we spoke about management companies do the day-to-day work that is on the ground with it. Right. So if I don't have that partner in all these parts, well, like how do I know that even in my plan can be implemented? Right. So I have right. every point I have such a hurdle to get there. So if I was starting out, I'd be very specific because worst case is that you spend all this time and you find out this area is not for you. Well, at least you know all the things you need. So the next time you go to another area, you know how to do it quickly. Where right. I see it difficult for a lot of people is they try to learn this and try to do it in 10 markets. And at the same time, they're trying to figure out how to talk to brokers, underwrite deals, find the right team, look for locations, right? And they're doing that in 10 different spots. And you know, just like we were trying to get our time back, like time's fleeting. Like no one has all that time to be able to do it in all those different markets. Right. Tell me a story about your wife getting a real estate license and why that was important versus just using a broker or something like that. Yeah, honestly, it, 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 to us, it was just a logical step. You know, many times we just took the step and and she let it go because it ended up serving no purpose to us because like half the time <laughs> she would sell them and the other half the time we would just have like a, one of our friends go sell them. It was just at the moment, that was what we thought we needed to do. Just like getting into flipping. Like people say like, what you do today in apartment buildings? Like if you go back, would you do all the flipping? That, yeah, we would do it all again because it led us to understand the questions to get the answer, right? Because we thought that was the answer, right? Get, get the, you know, the, get her get a real estate license that's going to be the ticket right but you don't know what you don't know and for us each time we do something it either gives us a path we say okay this path is somewhere let's keep taking steps or it's completely wrong okay well at least we know not to do that again right and mm-hmm. that, that's usually where our success has lied is that it's not that i don't know the answer i just don't know the question and when i can uh-huh. find out the question then i get the answer and most of it has to be go do something. Okay, now I understand. I need this question to get here. And then that unravels the answer. So we thought the logical thing was that she would go get a real estate license and it would just be part of the process. And what we found it was just, it was one of these additional steps and layers that we ultimately didn't need at the end, but it just was one of the lessons that we learned. Okay. I I guess I see a lot of people, friends and other investors and stuff like that, that have their license. And I didn't know, I have no idea how no. big of a deal it is to get one. And I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a nut that you get when during a transaction that you would normally give away. I don't, I guess yeah. I wondered if there was some benefit. You know what it is? It's a, it's a whole other business that you have to run to. Right. Gotcha. And so, so, you know, there, there's, there's buyer's agents, there's seller's agents, right there. And many times you'll see that it will become such a busy business that most of the agents aren't investors themselves. Right. It does help. Oh. I guess if you could, you know, just, it's that, you, you could potentially sell your properties, but if your goal is to get properties and just continue to move the process, then that's going to take away from you to continue to buy properties and, and push properties because you're so busy selling the properties. All right. Fair. Totally fair. Tell me what have been some of the challenges that have come up with this whole getting investors and yep. lots of doors and all that kind of stuff that you didn't necessarily anticipate. You know, we grew, um, we, we were able to buy, you know, we probably bought four, 500 units before we end up bringing team on, right? And so my wife and I were wearing all wow. these hats. And so we we were the linchpin to why we weren't scaling in an efficient manner because we were just doing all the hats, right? So if I'm doing one piece, I can't do another. If she's doing one thing, we can't do another. So if she's talking to investors and I'm underwriting, no one's looking for deals. If we're you know out there working with the property management team, then you know no one's um, working on underwriting, right? So we were the limitation of where we wanted to go. So that that's on our growth part. From the property side is that, you know, it really does come down to good team. Like, um, you know, one of the properties, you know, we did all the due diligence, did all the inspections and we're two months in and it had a lift station because the, um, the, 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 the sewer in the street was built and, and raised up years later. So we had a lift station for the sewer and it ended up going out two months in and it completely expected everything passed and it was an electrical surge. They hit that off. So that took the water down to the building. Right. So, so, so we had a building with no water and they were like, Oh, it's going to take maybe three weeks to, to repair it. We're like, well, that's not going to work. You know, people without three <laughs> weeks. So we were able to have just because of having a great property management that had connections there, we were able to get it back on in 24 hours. So being able to nice. circumvent things like that. So we had that, 
We had another one where, you know, there was another electrical surge. I guess this is the norm, right? Where it took out power to six of the units. We were able to have the right team get that back on, right? Um, we had, you know, just random things like people pass away from just natural causes being old, right? And just not knowing, you know, I'm in New Jersey, right? There's a plan that of how that's handled in New Jersey. But like, what if you're in Georgia or you're in Kentucky, right? Like, how's it happened there? And every state is a different process, right? You, you have to notify Nexican. Well, what if there, what if there is no Nexican, right? Like, how is it treated? Like some, you would go through a process, like a like an eviction process, like for that, you know, like, so there were standards how it is. So just understanding how to, you know, know where to go when something came up, because that's, you know, you don't underwrite for someone to pass away. It's not like part of your business plan. Okay. So when this happens, right. But when that happens, you have to say, okay, that has happened. Who do I speak to, to make sure we have the right route to go forward, to get to that next step for the project? Yeah. You always hear of some of the less than great tenants. I had a friend who had a guy, a boyfriend of the tenants commit suicide wow. in one of her units. So she got to learn really fast at three in the morning how to deal with that. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other people that have had buddies that have had where people just left and they left all their crap. Mm -hmm. Not, I mean, stuff not worth saving, but they decided he would be a good guy to take care of all their trash. Yeah. Sounds right. They lived in. So it's all these horror stories. And I was like, eh. I don't yeah. want to get into that, but on the flip side, you look at the overall 100 doors, 200 doors, whatever, the average is probably profitable and not so headache-like. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Like you think about it, if you have a two unit, right, you're either 100% occupied, 50% occupied, or 0% occupied, right? And so so your you're kinds of scale are little. And if you have one problem tenant, right, you have one problem. So 50% of your of your project is a problem, right? But mm -hmm. if you go to that 100 unit building, you know, and you, and you put it in with the right tenants from that part, let's say you have three or four vacancies and like one problem tenant. Well, now you still have, you know, 95 paying tenants. Right. So your problems become more spread out and a lot um, less serving to the project. Right. So so on that front, you still have 95 percent of your revenue coming in that, that mainly in the right ends, as long as you brought in the correct manner is covering very efficiently your expenses and your mortgage. Mm -hmm. I like that. That is cool. So where do you see the market going? I guess. Well, let me back up before I ask that question. Tell me about pandemic, because that probably changed mm -hmm. the game a little bit with uh, people. I don't know, not paying their rent or. Or government paying their rent. I don't know exactly what happened. You know, I guess, in all the each state was in. different, right? And each state was different of how they handled it. You know, we had a couple states at that time, and they, they were all different, right? And some just was like business as usual, but people just kept paying. And some, you know, it would be that they were laid off from their job, and so they would have a true reason, and they would be able to get assistance. And then some would just take advantage of it. You know, like oh, well, I just won't work, and just get assistance and be in no rush to it, right? So you face challenges in each and every market. Where we found is that. Some states offered assistance for like too long. They just kept offering assistance. And so like mm -hmm. tenants would just be like, yeah, I'm just not going to pay rent because I know assistance coming. Right. And so we saw that in a couple markets. And so it was its own challenge. Right. And I think there was a lot of noise that, you know, buildings would go like and be like 50% occupied and like and no one to pay rent. But a lot of people just came through and pay rent. Because when you think of the overall picture, you know, we we need we're at a housing shortage. We've been at a housing shortage forever, right? We're not going to meet the housing need in this decade. We haven't met it since 2007 on a year, right? Of what's needed to be built. So is we're really already- true? Yeah, it's true. We actually, well, uh, let me let me go two parts. We, uh, we They got burned so bad in 2007. So they, they stopped building to what's needed. So each and every year we've been less than, less supply out than demand is warranted, right? This year was the first year that we've actually matched the demand needed with the supply put out. And it's because of where the low interest rates were and a lot of people put building out there. But we need 16 and a half million homes from 2020 to 2030. And we're on pace to do about 11 million. Holy and cow. So, and when you think about the homes coming on, everybody's building new. So like apartment buildings, no one's building an old apartment building. But most of what we need is we need workforce housing apartment buildings because that's the majority of the country, right? We, not everybody's going to live in a class A brand new apartment building. They, they want the workforce housing. So we're constantly on a deficit of that type of building. And so this last year we met the need, but what's happened now with the high interest rates, still supplied, um, supplies constraints just with materials, still hard to get labor and the cost to build, we're now going to revert back where again, we won't meet demand. So, so from that point, it's this constant strain where we need housing and we're not going to have enough housing. Now, it's market to market, right? It's not a perfect average on every market. Some markets overbuilt, but a lot of these markets, it's, it's many things. Even if we wanted to, and even if we could, then you have the regulatory constraint. 
You think about mini markets, they have different permitting factions, they have different zoning requirements and they just can't meet it, right? In my town, we need housing like it's, you know, like desperately, but the sewers, they never, they never anticipated this much growth. So the sewers are actually at capacity. So they've started to limit the amount of density you could get in per acre. And oh, they've wow. made people, instead of just putting in a standard sewer system, they have to do a step system, all these other things that limit projects getting out of the gate. Interesting. Because that stuff way 100 years ago, whatever, 150 years ago. Correct. Yeah. I mean, people are putting a plan out, you know, on the roadways and that, that's the hardest thing to change. So you think about, you know, some markets like look at like a San Antonio versus like an Austin, right? San Antonio prepared for like this growth. So they don't have this big, big mess of just chaos, right? Because they have roadways where like Austin, it's just constant chaos of just like traffic and everything else. They just don't, they grew at such a scale and they don't have the roadways to support it. Yeah. yeah I was just in Austin a few years ago and I saw the interstate was backed up at midnight. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, fun. That's, that's pretty bad. Yeah, that's <laughs> fine. Yeah. It was just a day, like a Tuesday or something like that. It wasn't any <laughs> yeah, that's special, perfect. like, yep. I don't know, whatever. It was very interesting. Cool town, but yeah, interesting. Way underprepared for that. Tell me, you have done this for a few years now. You've seen some ups and downs. I hear from banks that interest rates are crazy high and people are walking away. Mm. And I hear from other people, even myself included, where I'm like, interest rates are higher than they were, but. My first house is was a higher interest rate than what interest rates are now. So what are you hearing, I guess, from investors and stuff like that as far as the talk of where interest rates are at today versus where yeah. they think they should be? Well, it's both sides of it, right? Interest rates are nowhere as high as when our parents were buying houses and all this stuff, right? They, but they are much, much higher than they've been in the last few years. So what that does is when when rates revert, it typically um, brings down values on apartment buildings, right? So so or or just overall real estate. So we've seen some roll off of just valuations right there. So, but the other side of it is because we've talked about the supply uh, demand and demand constraint right there is that rents have stayed high, right? Because mm -hmm. people have nowhere to live, so rents stay high. So so sellers are having a hard time selling their prices or buildings at discounts because you're like, well, why? It's occupied and I'm still creating a lot of revenue where buyers are like, but but it's this higher interest rate. So we're seeing this um this bid-ass spread that still exists between buyers and sellers. However, the market is higher with rates, but just at the last meeting that they're forecasting three rate cuts coming into this year. So I think that will take some of the pressure off in the market, but there is a lot of banks that have been sitting on the sideline because they just didn't know where to price loans, right? They're just like, you see banks failing, right? You see all these other points where banks had put out a ton of loans right now, right? And then they didn't expect this historic rise in rates, you know, and having all these rates rise up in such a uh, dramatic fashion, they didn't yeah, anticipate yeah. it, right? And so for that, they just didn't know what to do. Now, when you see this level on off, right, we started seeing the treasuries have come down dramatically over the last 30 days, just because the Fed is anticipated that we will see some um, breather for the time being and then some reduction coming to rates. Gotcha. But will, will it get back to 3% rates? I don't know. That That's a that's a tall, tall order, right? But, that is a very tall order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but the prime rate, you know, uh, prime rate historically has been about a 5.5%, right? And right now it's 8.5%. So maybe we'll get back to about 5.5%. So we'll call that, maybe that will be our median or our norm, but that probably by 2025 is where we'll really kind of see that. All right. Do you see your business going into constructing any new places rather than, or in addition to buying places? 90% is exactly what we've talked about today, apartment buildings. The other 10%, um, I have uh, self-storage facilities. I have office buildings. Um, I have a, you know, a motel and we have development. Um, okay. all, but all of those are here in our backyard. So anything that's not to the norm is around us that we're doing, but the majority of the line share of the business, the apartment buildings and the 10% of the business is the ancillary other pieces of opportunistic plays. Okay. Tell me, let's just dabble in those really quick. We don't have a ton of time, but I want to touch on them. The self-storage business. I imagine that's going well. People have junk. Yeah. 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 You see self-storage, and that's why it's been one of the – usually multifamily on a rolling 10-year average has outperformed almost every other real estate class except for self-storage. And the reason being is that when people downsize, they need a place to store stuff. And then when they continue to buy, uh, have good times, they just buy too much stuff and they need somewhere to store it. So it kind of fits in the end on all sides. And all right. where we've seen the growth here, you know, we're in an area that's just east of, east of Nashville. And there's an Amazon facility right by this place. There's two housing developments that are going around it. And other housing developments just off in that part. So it's it's something that you need storage of such a massive capacity. And it's not something that towns want a lot of. 
they prefer not to have storage. And that's why you see these storage facilities get built and look fantastic because they, they're trying to meet something that's not the expectation of just as old, you know, old buildings that are just garages. Gotcha. All right. And then office, you mentioned you had some office properties. That's uh, a, yeah. that's been a moving target the past few years. Yeah. Downtown office. That's not, um, that is driven by larger companies has been really tough. Where we found that we've won is we we've come into service businesses. So all of our offices come in, you know, we have an engineering company, construction company, pest company, doctor office. Um, uh, what's the other one? Um, chiropractor, right? So it's things that are service businesses and that's done well for us. Gotcha. So you're talking smaller, I suppose, sub. Yeah. yeah more like it's, foot. it's, it's mainly flex office. Of where okay. it is here. So a lot of these have office and then some some warehouse capacity in a small faction that meets their business needs. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, Jason, I appreciate your time. I don't know if you have anything inspirational book, inspirational podcast besides this one, I guess, that you listen to or want to share that's kind of helped you through. Yeah. I mean, you're almost talking just shy of a decade of doing this. Yeah, it's been fun. You know, um, I mean, there's there's a ton out there that that I like. You know, um, oh man, what would be good good for the audience is that you know I actually um, it, it, what is it? It's it used to be called something different, but um, uh, BYOB is uh so which is one about all business works right there. Uh, how I made my first millions, an interesting one right there. Um, the Guy Raz podcast is another good one right there. Um, of course, um, the podcast on stoicism, I like a lot right there. Um, live 100 is, is a podcast I do out there. So we have those from there. Um, but in that front, those I'm blanking on the one that's, um, the first one I said there, but that's when I listened to a lot, but they just changed the name and now it's, it's throwing me for a loop of what it All is. Right. What is so, the live 100 one? You said that's uh, yours. That's mine. Yeah. We we've run a, a multifamily live podcast for a number of years and live 100 and live 100 is that a lot on peak performance because a lot of the changes that we made in our life was that we had to make choices to make change. And that uh -huh. was the, usually the pinnacle piece is that we had to break bad habits to build future momentum so we can magnify success. success. And that's a lot what Live 100 was built upon right there. Um, but we've had our multifamily live podcast almost since we've started this, but we started Live 100 about um, five months ago now. And it's nice. been doing tremendous. Yeah, it's been a lot oh, of fun. Very cool. Thank you. I forgot to ask you, your spouse, when you got into this, the real estate game, business and all that kind of stuff, was she in that as well? Or did you have to talk her into joining you or, or maybe she talked you into joining her? Yeah. So we met working together, right? So we met as bartender before we had to learn to be a couple, right? So we've always been exploring opportunities and that, so we got into real estate together. And then when we moved into apartment communities, I, I'm fast to act and she's quick to go and take it and need a moment to just understand it. Right. So she took a couple of days just to understand it. And then we talked a lot about, we talked about restaurants and stuff part and it made a hundred percent sense. And when she got that and she was able to take it in and let it sink in, we, we were all forward to go with apartment investing. Right. And so right. a lot of our points now is that she'll say, if I have a plan, she'll say, do we need to do that? And then I'll say, you know, you're right. No, we don't. But in that fact, if we do, I, I will go, you know what? This is why this will add value to our business. And so it's a good push pull of what we've had in our relationship is that I'm constantly going forward and she's constantly making sure like, does this fit what we want to do here? So instead of having 50 things open right now, do we need to do these other 45 or can we just do the five we're doing? So she gives me good reflection points to make sure that the core piece of the, uh, the avenue forward is meeting our objectives and meeting our mission. Man, what a great question. Do we have to do this? Yeah, it is a good that. question. <laughs> I love that. I got to ask myself that more than once yep. a day. Yeah, Holy it is. Cow. It is a very good question. It's it's helped us stay the course because most of life is that you got to take action, right? You got to continue to move forward, but you, you don't need to move all the mountains, right? right. You, you just need to move the right mountain. And sometimes yeah. we're stuck trying to move all the mountains when you're not moving anything because there's just trying to do everything at once, right? And so you're still stuck exactly where your feet are because you're trying to carry all the plates, right? And there's 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 not like a perfect balance. There's 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 basically there's the season, right? So the season of what we're doing, right? And then at times like 
it will change, right? Like it, there's things in our life that of course are going to be priority, right? So if our kids are going to sick, our energy going to go there. If, you know, if, um, you know, something happens, then it's like someone, you know, family member gets sick, we'll have to do that. Right. But if, if there's something here that many times we're balancing a lot of things, but it, get back to the restaurant day, if you have 20 plates and they're all stuffed that you're balancing right now, you could probably drop about 17 of them and you really won't even know a difference, but we're just yeah. carrying them because it's what we've always done. Right? right. And when you drop those 17, you're like, oh yeah, I really didn't need those. But three, right. Oh, I got to pick my kids up from school, you know, like make sure they're fed. Right. You know, right. I gotta, I gotta take care of myself and my health. Right. And like things like that. Right. There, there'll be things that you have to do because you need to do it, but there'll be other stuff you're just doing. You don't even know why you're doing it. And when you drop it off, you're like, wow, yeah, I didn't really even need it. And a couple of years from now, you won't even remember why you were doing it. You were just doing it because that's what you're doing. Yeah. It reminds me of taking a vacation. And you come back and you think, uh, I didn't need to do that. I didn't need, like the world yep. kept spinning while you were Correct. gone, Correct. even though you feel like you're the one that's just beating pushing the it side to yep. make yep. it go. You're pushing the ball. Yeah. Pushing the ball down the field. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Jason, yeah. I appreciate your time. This has been a blast. Yeah, I certainly great. learned a lot. And I'm certain the listeners did as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Yeah. Where can people find you? Sure. Um, you know, so yourusiholdings.com. That that's our website. You can talk all about everything we talked about here today. Also, we have Live 100. You can find the Live 100 podcast pretty much on all, all the podcast players out there. So those two spots would give you a good platform to be able to find us. Awesome. So we got yourusiholdings.com and then Live 100. 100 the numbers, not spelled yep, out. Yep, so live L I V E and then 100 the numbers. Awesome. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jason. Thank you. This has been Authentic Business Adventures, the business program that brings you the struggle stories and triumphant successes of business owners across the land. We are locally underwritten by the Bank of Sun Prairie. If you're listening or watching this on the web, you know what to do. Give it a big old thumbs up, subscribe, and of course, share it with your entrepreneurial friends, especially those that may be interested in investing in real estate, which let's be honest, if they're not, they should be, right? My name is James Kateman and Authentic Business Adventures is brought to you by Calls on Call, offering call answering and reception of services for service businesses across the country on the web at callsoncall.com, as well as the Bold Business Book, a book for the entrepreneur in all of us, available wherever fine books are sold. We'd like to thank you, our wonderful listeners, as well as our guest, Jason at Yerusi Holdings. Jason, can you tell us that website one more time? Sure. Yeah, it's Y-A-R-U-S-I holdings.com. Awesome. I love it. Past episodes can be found morning, noon, and night. The podcast link on the drawincustomers.com. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. I want you to stay awesome. And if you do nothing else, enjoy your business.